This is Teach, Travel, Talk About It, a podcast from International TEFL Academy, where we sit down with our alumni, staff, and other members of the TEFL community to hear their stories about teaching English abroad, traveling the world, and everything in between. I'm your host, Jasira Vardak. Thank you so much for being here today, Matt. We're really happy to have you and to chat to you about your experiences. I would love to hear a little bit about you. Would you mind introducing yourself for me? Yeah, first off, thanks for having me. Love talking, so this is perfect. But yeah, I'm Matt, 26 years old from the great state of Maryland in the U.S. And yeah, so I've been teaching abroad for now cumulative, a little over three years, I'd say. So I'm on my third contract. I've taught in Spain twice in two different cities and now I'm in South Korea. I'm nearing the end of this contract and trying to see what my next move is and yeah just this is my way to see the world and travel is my passion and here I am. Where in Spain were you and where in South Korea are you now? So when I first arrived in Spain I went through this program called UP International. So they Through this program, you work as a language assistant. And so I was placed in a small town on the west coast of Spain, so a little north of Portugal, right on the Atlantic coast, and it was called Ribeira in the province of Galicia. And so I was there for about six months. I kind of joined a contract midway, and I had such an amazing experience there that I knew I wanted to stay in Spain. So when it came time to renew, they said, hey, we got a position in Barcelona. I said, yeah, let's do that. So then was <laughs> off to Barcelona a little bit after that, went home for the summer and was in Barcelona for the school year. So it would have been September until uh, May. And then I stayed in Barcelona up until August. And now I'm in South Korea. So now I'm in uh, Busan, the second largest mm-hmm. city, again, on the coast. All these places have beaches. My first small town in Spain, to Barcelona, to Busan. So I'm just... Going where the water is, I think. Not a bad life. Not bad at all. What was it like for you going from like a, a small town in Galicia to to Barcelona? It was, see, it was quite the shift. I grew up in a small town back home. So this town in Spain was like the Spanish version of my, my hometown. And when I was in college, well, after college, I lived in Washington, D.C. for several months. And I knew that I was, you know, like a city, city guy. So that's why mm-hmm. Barcelona was so attractive to me. And going from a small town to a big city like Barcelona, the moves and the opportunities to do things are endless, and I live for that. In a small town, you see the same people, same few bars and restaurants, which, which is cool, you know, that tight-knit community. But I feel like at this yeah. part of my life, in you know, my 20s, that I just need more. I don't want to have, oh, hey, this Friday night you want to go to this restaurant. Oh, yeah, we were just there like last week. No, no, I want the mm-hmm. city vibe. That's right. why I knew... Coming to Korea, I, I wanted the big city, if not Seoul, then Busan or, or one of these other big cities. And so that's my drive. Like for wherever I go next, it would have to be this big city because you never run out of things to do, I think. I mean, I get it. I'm with you. I, I also grew up in a small town and I'm, uh, I'm a big city person through and through. So wherever I went in the world, I always aimed for one of the biggest cities in the country because that's important. Hell yeah, I mean, if, if, if you want a city, that's, that's what you're going for. Were there any benefits to being in a small town? Was there anything that, even knowing that it wasn't your preference, but was there anything that you appreciated about it? Yeah, I mean, I, again, going back on it, like just the fact that it is a tight-knit community, like it is the same people. I feel like being a, a regular at one of these small town bars or restaurants as opposed to the big city, it's just, I don't know, it's just it's a different experience. I lived with a host family in this small town, like really just becoming part of that community because if you're in a big city like Barcelona or Busan or wherever it is in the world that you are, I mean, you're just a small fish in, you know, big pond. But 
when you're in this small town, you really feel those connections. And it was easier, I think, to adjust into a community when it's a lot smaller as opposed to just the million things going on in, let's say, Barcelona or anywhere, that is. That kind of brings uh, me to one of the other questions that uh, I had for you. But how was it finding uh, a community in these basically these three different places. I know you were only in, in the one for six months, but what was that like for you and finding friends or what have you? In Ribeira, it was a little difficult because the expat community is, is not there. I mean, it's a small town. You ask a mm-hmm. Spaniard about this town, I mean, they're not going to know about it. But in these places like Barcelona and Busan, there are so many Facebook groups. There's no Facebook groups in Ribeira, Spain. So I play lacrosse. Uh, it's my favorite sport. So I was able to Google that in Barcelona, find a lacrosse team. And, you know, Busan have failed. I haven't found anyone yet. <laughs> but just these Facebook groups, because here specifically in Busan, like a million Facebook groups. I mean, I joined Ultimate Frisbee group, which I've never played, but it's more just these are the ways to meet people. And then in Barcelona, right. you have teachers in Barcelona, same thing with Busan, or Americans in Barcelona. So using, I think, social media to your advantage, that's better, you know, these big cities versus these smaller things. The community, I'll say, for Ribeira, with the, as I mentioned before, with the host family, I found that kind of community. But in terms of the native teachers, it was just like us four, which was great. They were great people, but a little more difficult because... Had they not been there, my experience would have been a little more difficult and meeting people. And I guess, I mean, luckily you liked them and you got along, but it's a little bit difficult when you have just four people really to choose from, like you said, the foreign teachers. And I mean, maybe, maybe being there longer, you might've made, um, like local friends, et cetera, but. Yeah. And see like with that though, because this town, like there weren't many people in their, their twenties or even Mm. earlier because Mm -hmm. it was once you graduate high school, you're on to, you know, studying, you know, Madrid or Barcelona or like, you know, or the, the big cities in Galicia. Mm -hmm. It was more the young people were like my students and yeah, we're not hanging out. (laughs) And then the oldest, then it's their parents. So it's like finding that middle ground was a little difficult, but yeah. I mean, as you said, I got along with these other native teachers, but had I not would have been very difficult. Yeah, exactly. Whereas in, in a big city like Barcelona, like Busan, you have a lot more people to to choose from to be friends with. And you can, exactly. you can really look and find your, your niche. Like, it's so cool that you found a lacrosse team in Barcelona. Hell yeah. I'm sorry you haven't in Busan yet. Well, I've posted on the Facebook group like three times and people will, will like it. And so I'll message them directly like, oh, like you play lacrosse and people just say, oh, no, we just thought it was funny that you posted that. And I got a lacrosse goal. I bought it. I shipped it to Korea. I was trying to introduce it in gym class because I'm teaching gym out here. And yeah, it's just difficult. And so my goal is just sitting there wanting to be used. And I try to use it when I can, but I just I want someone to play with. And I just I thought like I'd find someone. There's a lot of Americans out here. You know, there's Canadians, there's European. I just thought someone would Mm -hmm. play lacrosse and yeah, I'll, I'll get a little teary-eyed talking about it because it's, my, my year is almost <laughs> up and not a soul has played with me. So, yeah, oh, I'm a little disappointed no. about that. My time's not done yet, so fingers are crossed someone might just walk through that door. I mean, if any IT alumni out there are listening to this and you're a lacrosse player and Hit me up. you're going to South Korea, <laughs> head to Busan. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. Uh, moving backwards a little bit, uh, I'm curious how you made the decision to go to Spain and then of course later on to South Korea. What was that decision making process like for you? Yeah, so growing up, I was really big into travel. Like my family, every year we were going somewhere and I had been to, you know, China when I was in middle school with my dad on a business trip. We have family in Colombia, had been there and just done some international travel. And so I think I gained an appreciation for travel and 
my big regret, and I did not study abroad in college, and I don't know why, but my mom always pushed on me. She studied abroad in Madrid, and she said, you know, it was an amazing experience. You see the world and this and that. I just didn't listen. Ugh, I hate myself for that. <laughs> but so my junior year, I took a solo backpacking trip to Europe, and that was really when my eyes were open. I mean, it was an amazing experience, and so I think that's when I got this travel bug. I just had this this inkling to travel. And so as it came time heading towards graduation, I think me, I just didn't really apply to many things. Or when I did apply to job, like real jobs, it was, I just didn't do it well. And so I had to settle for an internship. And that's when I was living in DC. And so I just kept telling my mom, like, yeah, I just, I really just want to be abroad. And I know like I can't travel the whole time. And I mean, not this point in my life. And her big thing was, yeah, just you can teach English as a foreign language. My coworker, her son does that. I'm thinking, uh, okay, uh, you got any more information with that? So then mm-hmm. did my research, you know, got the TEFL certificate. And then my big drive was I want to go back to Spain because we went, you know, on that, this Euro trip in Spain. It was just an amazing time. And having studied Spanish, you know, like I said, I got family in Colombia. And it was more just, I mean, this is a no brainer. Let's try to go to Spain. So got certified, like at the TEFL, and was just scouring the web using ITA and just trying to get to Spain. And so that's why coming across this Up International, they said, yeah, I mean, we don't have any opportunities right now because this was November, I'd say. And they said, but we do have this small town in Galicia if you want to go or you can wait for a bigger city next year. But I just right. I wanted to go. So I said, Ribera, I don't care if it's a Joe Schmo city or the one that no one's ever heard of. I, I don't care. I'm going. To, I want to go to Spain. It doesn't matter where it is. I I don't care. And so then I was off. And like I said, I just had an amazing experience there. And so then Barcelona was a no-brainer. And then fast forward to Korea. It was more that Spain, which we can delve into later, but Spain, you can go there. You know, the money, like you're not safe. Like it's more that break even. It's, I mean, it's fun. Yeah. You know, it's a a good experience kind of thing, but it's not a long-term thing. And also I just, Barcelona was the best year of my life. But I, just, I couldn't see myself staying there another year because my mentality is, you know, one year at a time, let's do a new place, see, have a new experience. And so that's why I started to look at Asia and Korea, like everyone, I feel like everyone and their mothers is teaching in Korea when you look at the ITA alone. <laughs> so there must be a reason, but, you know, went through with that and now here I am. And like I said, just every year, I just, I would like to try that new experience. I mean, because I mean, again, Barcelona, best year of my life and that the whole the working, the lifestyle, everything, amazing. But it's mm-hmm. just that on to the next thing. And yeah, Korea just seemed like that next option. I feel like to break or to crack into Asia, have that first experience. So do you do a lot of like research when you're looking to go to a new place? Have you thought about where you're going next? <laughs> yeah, see, that's the million dollar question where I'm going next. Um, but yeah, the research, <laughs> I think, I mean, ITA, I mean, where is a great- Where in the world is yeah, where in the, I don't know. It's like wherever the wind takes me, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, the resources from ITA, I mean, they're all there. And so, like, just, yeah, I mean, if, I mean, of course, you have to do a lot of research before you decide where you go next or where you start this adventure. Because, I mean, the Korea, I mean, it's a one-year contract. Spain, it's like, Elp was a nine-month contract or six, yeah. depending on when you hop in. But, I mean, it's a huge commitment. You don't want to play it lightly. So, it is all that research and doing the research, looking at the... The financial aspect, are we going for more break-even? Are we going to save? What is the lifestyle like? And, you know, doing research into the country, but then, you know, the workplace. And it's just, it's just a, I have a whole list of things that 
you know, need to be met before deciding, okay, yeah, I'd like to mm-hmm. do this place. And so where I'm going next, I mean, yes, I will be doing this. But yeah, it's a good question. I, I feel like I'm not done in Korea. So if I stay in Korea, I would like to try Seoul. I wouldn't want to go smaller because just trying to get mm-hmm. the next big thing. Or right. dabbling with Taiwan or... Yeah, I think those are the main two right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Thailand would be really cool. I've been there. I, just, I could not deal with the, the heat. The humidity, like I just, my time there, I was there for a month and I could imagine living there with that because I just, oh. so I think mm-hmm. those are the two options that I'm at right now. So we'll have to check in where I'm at in a little bit of time. We're just, we're playing it by, by ear, you know? So back to Spain, we've touched a little bit on what working for UP was like in that, that process, but how was getting your student visa? Was that relatively easy? Is that something that took a little bit of time? Yeah, well, shout out UP International. You know, they, they were great. They really walk you through the steps and all the documents that you need. And I mean, it, like with Korea, it is pretty straightforward with getting those documents. And well, just to go back to what I was saying. So with UP, you do go as a student, the student visa. Mm-hmm. And because you also are like dual enrolled in Spanish university, but you do it at your own pace. And it's like a really, I feel like it's like a loophole to get in this, this student visa. Yeah. But <laughs> it was, yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty easy, I think. Once you had the documents, uh, similar to Korea, you know, have the FBI. I think it was just a, a police background check, not even the FBI. And then you had to get your degree. And yeah, and for me, living, what, like an hour from D.C., I, all I have to do is show up to the embassy and just hand in the stuff. There's no appointments needed, which I'm blessed because I've, I've heard people that have to you know, make appointments at their consulates. Or I had a, a friend from, what, Kansas City who has to fly to Chicago for that consulate appointment with me. It's just pull up to D.C., yo, here's my stuff. You got it mailed back within a month, both times I did. Granted, mm-hmm. right now I, I can't speak on the COVID situation, but no, it's pretty straightforward. And so up, they're really good with managing the flights and stuff. So I was actually picked up at the airport, the small airport in uh, Galicia from my up agent. So he drove me to the host family and just all the mediation and they were like, they really, they were always there when I needed help. Thing the agent in mm-hmm. Galicia and the agent in Barcelona, when their issues, it's always we're here for we work for you really, and yeah. yeah, the visa thing wasn't an issue with UP. They really worked to help make it go a smooth transition to starting a new life in Spain. You know, that's really phenomenal to hear. And you lived with a host family. Was that an opportunity? I'm assuming for you to practice Spanish. How did that go for you, especially those first few weeks that you were there? Yeah, the host family, that's exactly how it was because I was replacing someone. That's why when I went into Galicia, like it was a six month thing because that, it didn't work out with the person before. And so they said, yeah, like you would be living with the host family. And, you know, it was, it was like you're saying to like to hone in on the Spanish. So my grandmother's like, she was from Bogota. And I, I think my big regret of mine there too, just not utilizing my, the Spanish as much as I could have when she was around. So I made it my mission when she passed to, you know, I, I minored in it. And so I really just wanted to throw myself into the situation where the host only didn't speak any English. You know, it was a learning experience. Going to Colombia before, yeah, there, no English. I mean, I feel like that's different than you living in this household where yeah. every aspect of the day is in Spanish. Mm-hmm. From the little things like, hey, the, the we need more paper towels versus what are we eating tonight as opposed to the traveling Spanish. Like, this was daily life in Spanish. And, of course, there's a learning curve. In the beginning... My Spanish was not as good as I had thought it was having the minor. So just <laughs> things lost in translation and whatever. I mean, it was, it was all part of the experience. And by the end of it, I felt comfortable. Granted, 
It wasn't, there was no type of fluency, but it was more just, it had improved a lot. And it was really that like practicum as opposed to being in the classroom setting from when I minored in, and, and it was a great experience. Just, I mean, they didn't speak any English. So it was that really cool experience in terms of the learning. And for the people out there, I think if you do have an opportunity to do a host family, I think you should just try it, especially for the language thing. And we're talking about the community before, like I lived with a Spanish family, like that experience is a genuine Spanish feel as opposed to if you're going to these places and you're living with Americans, Canadians. So it's, I mean, it was just a very authentic experience and being in the small town yeah. even more, it was like, I mean, this is Spain. I mean, it's a, it is a completely different experience and different than I think just exactly living with roommates, living alone, because you can always find people, almost always find people to speak English with and to have that cultural commonality with right. wherever you go in the world. But when you're living with somebody from from that country, from that culture, you do get a different experience. You get the ability to obviously improve your language, but also really understand the culture that you're living in and really get the almost full experience of being there. Yeah, I mean, we were doing stuff with the family. Like, it was a, a single mother and her daughter and, like, just going to her parents and, like, just the Sunday cookout and stuff like that where it's, like, as a tourist, I mean, what are you going to pull up to say to random Spaniards, hey, can I join? I mean, you could. <laughs> but, like, going to church with them when we went and then the holidays and stuff and it was just like I mean that's it's looking into Spanish life Spanish culture which I feel right. I would not have had and that's how I was when I was in Barcelona I was with the host family in the beginning and then it was on my own and I, I didn't see that that is a really cool experience is there do you have a, a favorite uh, memory or experience with honestly either of your host families from that time something that really stood out or yeah i mean just okay i think was it okay being in europe within the schengen zone just like the concept is like just driving back and forth between countries so nonchalant low-key i remember we went i mean galicia because we weren't too far from the portuguese border and we went to there's the three of us the the single mother and her, her daughter and we went to this bar or this restaurant on a sunday and yeah the the host mom she said oh yeah like you just want to go to Portugal, like, right now? And so, yeah, okay, I mean, do I, uh, all right, like, so just bopped on over to Portugal for a few hours, and just, like, the whole low-key nature. As an American, I guess we're used to, like, going to Mexico. It's not that, like, that that strictness of the border, it's just we drove in, and did our thing, got food in Portugal, and just went back, and, like, I just, it was just a really cool thing, like, it was just a really random experience, <laughs> because it was so low-key, and I just, it was fun. Right. It was just a really, just a random experience in my travels. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> that is pretty fun. So, you taught, did you teach children or adults in uh, Spain? So, Spain, the first contract, it was age three up until 13, so it would have been, I guess, at the end of middle school. And then in Barcelona, I was just with the high schoolers. So I guess ninth grade, I really took till seniors. And, but I also worked um, at an academy in Barcelona. So I worked with like university students as well. And there, I did have a few adults. So in Spain, you know, I worked with the whole range, but like with up the schools, it was the youngest kid coming into school until, until graduating. And I mean, it was just cool because, you know, with that, the levels of English, obviously, and just the different... Because in Barcelona, the English was really good. These, these seniors, I mean, these high schoolers, I mean, it's like talking to my friends, really. Just like the level of English. But then in Galicia, because Barcelona, you know, big cosmopolitan city, the English has to be there as opposed to Galicia. I mean, English, I mean, mm-hmm. it's really not necessary because not many English speakers are coming there, really. But the level... It was just cool to see and just the different styles of teaching. And it was a great experience because by the time I was done in Spain... 
I mean, I have that experience in my belt where it is I have worked with like basically babies <laughs> up until right. seniors and then even dabbling in with the adult experience and university students. That is pretty cool. And then you, obviously, you went to teaching kids in South Korea. But I'm curious, so you said that you worked for a language school in Barcelona. Was that under the table or over? <laughs> yeah, don't tell people. <laughs> we'll not be shouting out yeah, that specific no, no, language no, no. school. We, we won't do that, no. But it's as a student visa, yeah, like I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not supposed to be doing other side hustles, I believe, correct? Technically, no. So on a student visa, you can't do more than you can't teach more than 20 hours 20 a week hours, exactly. legally and most of the the school programs like up international like medias the ministry program and cup all of those you're teaching 20 hours or less a week and if you're teaching under 20 hours a week for one of those programs and you happen to get in some extra hours then as long as you're not over 20 then you're not doing it illegally but I mean, it's fairly common. People do private tutoring. Exactly. You know, the market's gotta, there. and got to make money. Yeah, exactly. Because, well, see, talking about the 20 hours, I'm pretty sure that they were working me a lot more in Galicia. And I guess I didn't know oh, about okay. it. But I was in that school from 8.30 until 5.30. But in Barcelona, oh, no. the hours were different. And I could go home at 1 or 2 on some days. So like, yeah. I, did, and I could go home between classes because I, I live not too far from the place. So Galicia, but also because the small town... There's no public transport, so I have to take the right. school bus. When the kids are ready to leave, that's when I go home. There's no <laughs> in-between. In Barcelona, yeah. I did have that free time being done at one or two, and so it was just these language academies. You just pull up, give your resume, and it's, uh, you know, cash. There was no on the books, really. It's cool because I was able just to pay the rent just strictly from the language school. And then because my student visa, when you go to Spain, the student visa is valid... Was it a year or is it, I think, let's say 10 months, I think. We'll say 10 for mine because I arrived in September in Barcelona and then my visa was valid until the end of July. So I guess we'll say 10 or 11. But I I was done teaching at the end of May. So it was these two months Mm -hmm. where I really could just fool around. But I did the summer summer program at this language academy and it was great. Mm -hmm. It was cool. It was another cool experience because it wasn't. I mean, I was working at an academy. It wasn't working at a school and I was free to do more of my thing and just having the different experience. Like it could have been a one-on-one. I could go to someone's house or it could be like a group. But that's where I got test prep experience as well. The people taking um, the TOEFL exam and the, the Cambridge exam for, for English. So that's where I got the experience with these university students. And I mean, that, that was a lot different than some of the... Yeah, you know, things I taught oh, yeah. with the school. So it, it was just cool. It was yeah. cool for my experience. That is really cool. It makes you a lot more well-rounded. Test prep is a whole different ballgame exactly. in terms of teaching English. In South Korea, I'm assuming you're teaching younger kids. So in South Korea, okay. <laughs> so for the people out there, the Korean age system, when you're born, you are one. As opposed to us, you're, you're a day old. Here, you're a year old. So... From my understanding, I still get mixed up huh. all the time. There's, they say Korean age and then international age. So everyone turns a year older January 1st. So the baby that is born, what, December 31st is two years old a day later. So this is relevant because in the contract it oh says God. age four until uh, seven. So that, that's the age I'll be working with. Okay, so four to seven. That means two and three year olds. So... <laughs> I'm working with, yeah, babies up until international age, maybe six or seven years old. But so I come and like, it's kids in diapers that can't speak anything. 
no Korean. I mean, they're babies. And so, yeah, here I am. I'm teaching. They got me teaching baby gym class. So I got that four times a week. And uh, yeah, I just I did not expect okay. to be doing that. And I just I, I mean, I, I would not, you know, when I got the contract, it wasn't having to think, <laughs> oh, does this country do ages differently? No, I didn't think that. So when you see the ages, that could mean one or two years less. So I am working with the youngest of kids, and yeah. It's, wow. Yeah. You learn you learn something new every day. So I'm with the youngest of young, but mm-hmm. I can add that now to my resume. And that is a very different teaching experience, teaching essentially two-year-olds. So how was that learning curve for you, teaching theoretical four-year-olds that were actually two? Difficult, because... Again, I did not expect that. And I had the experience in Spain. But see, in Spain, you're a language assistant. So you are following the teacher. But here right. in Korea, it's the opposite. You are that teacher and you'll have like a co-teacher or stuff. But at my school, I don't. So with the babies, yes, there is someone there. But it's difficult because you have to really... Well, I mean, you need to be animated as a teacher anyways. But here, you have to be just... I mean, it's difficult because each class is 40 minutes. And so... The topics that are taught, you know, obviously are so basic and you just have to be so patient. Like the first few months and then dealing with the crying and stuff because it just, I mean, the babies, you know? Babies cry. And so, yeah, so just, (laughs) I wasn't used to that. But, you know, here, because, okay, now I'm with 20 babies. In the beginning of the, the semester, maybe 13 of them were in diapers. Now we have phased that out. So they are obviously getting older. And now I know what I'm doing more with that, but... The learning curve was something else because it's just, I mean, they are so young. I mean, if they're not understanding Korean, it's, it's just words coming out of my mouth, like just sounds. And just with the 40 minutes and just I had it twice a week and just every time I went in, it was just thinking like, how much are they retaining? Because, I mean, I don't have this young of an experience really. But, but it, it, again, it's a good experience. Uh, I just, I will say like the gym class I have because I have them four times a week, I just... It's so difficult because now they're older, you know, gym class, you want to keep it fresh and stuff. And some of these games I want to play, if the kids were a little older, they'll understand instructions. But here it's just such visual instructions. I don't get impatient, but sometimes it's, if you understood just this one concept, we could have so much more fun with this game. But I just, I don't want them to be bored. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is definitely challenging. In Taiwan, in the first job that I had there, which I, I only did for nine months. It was a bushy bun in Taiwan, and uh, I taught uh, kindergarten, kindy classes, two mornings a week, also technically uh, illegal. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those, everyone knows that it happens. And actually, usually you get warned when your school is going to be inspected. Sometimes, I've heard stories where you don't. And so they'll like board off the kindy classrooms, basically. Or you can't go in those classrooms that day, like your classes for your kindy classes for that day are canceled because oh, you, you can only sit with the older students. But anyway, I had three levels that I taught and the youngest ones were, yep, two, two and three years old. And you're basically just watching them run around a small room. Yeah. You exactly. might because the attention span is, yeah. is low. Yeah. Yeah. It's about 15 seconds. Yeah. Hopefully you don't have to teach two-year-olds again. I'll um. do it. Just the gym class. I just, I, I don't, I, I love, I'm an active guy. I love sports, you know, lacrosse and stuff. Right. But like baby gym, your, that, that would be a deal breaker. Exactly. Yeah. Your two-year-olds aren't playing lacrosse with you. Oh my God. Well, I try with the older kids and lacrosse. I thought it'd be easy to teach, but I was so wrong. Even like these six and seven-year-olds, like just the mechanics of it. And 
Yeah. So you had mentioned earlier about ultimate frisbee in in South Korea. Are there any sports that you have gotten into while you were there? So I didn't. I didn't. Haven't actually been to the ultimate. I, I joined the group, um, but you know, with COVID, there was a lot of up and down, like things that they were allowed to have, they weren't. And so, you know, I played soccer until like, what, like sixth grade. And you know, I love, love soccer and you know, playing pickup. So I joined the soccer group, but it was, I, I found out, yeah, it was way too competitive. I mean, I, these are people that they played, you know, all the way through high school and into college. And it's, that's not me. And I, I'm not going to do that. But right. I mean, there are, I've seen, and I, there was like a flag football one, which I played flag football in intramural in college and stuff. I love it. <laughs> But again, with COVID, just like groups, it's sad because I mean, the Korea that I know is, is COVID Korea. And so it, it's being seen with these Facebook groups and these kinds of things. But no, in terms of sports, I I, the, I wanted to, but you know, things, things kind of happened, but. Things didn't work out that way. Yeah, but I think that's the beauty though, because in this city, big cities like Busan or whatever, I mean, you Google what you want, granted not lacrosse, because there's no one for that, but something more general, you can find maybe a group for that. And that's mm-hmm. like a painting group mm-hmm. or like a book club, this or that, it's a city, mm-hmm. you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good point. That's something that, especially, I mean, Facebook is a great, a great place to find that. I, you know, I found, and it's all about that finding community and COVID has definitely gotten in the way of that, but I found groups of things that I was interested in when I was in Taiwan and in Taipei. And it was, it's just a really useful tool to find the things that you're interested in, just not lacrosse and Busan. Hey, maybe if you go to Seoul. I know, I know. <laughs> See, my, my contract's done the 28th, so in 18 days, and my visa's until October oh, wow. 13th, and so I'm debating to just to leave the lacrosse goal here and, like, have someone ship it to the next place I go, or, or what? I, I don't know, because, yeah, I just, I'm not giving up on that. It's not a dream of mine, but I'm not giving up on it, because the shipping for that thing to come over was more expensive than the goal itself, and... It was a move and a half to come here, so I'm not giving up. I mean, hey, it was a priority. It was you. Uh, Hell yeah, it you was. pick what what's important to you. Wow, so that kind of your next your next steps are coming soon, whatever they might be. Yeah, I mean, what I'm doing right now. So my, again, we're talking about where I'm going to go next, but I think so. March that will be the next where I go. In in between, uh, knock on wood. Hopefully, you know everything goes to plan. But I booked a one month trip i'm going to georgia armenia and azerbaijan and qatar when i when i'm done here which hopefully that doesn't get messed up and then in december going three weeks to uh, costa rica and uh, panama and then i booked a one-week trip with my buddies we're gonna go to uh, serbia so i'm being very optimistic with Mm -hmm. stuff going on but Mm -hmm. march would be the next step either again come back to korea or look for that next move but i just i don't think i'm done with this tefl adventure yet but there are moves to be made in the 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 coming months for me so hopefully that's really cool to hear and funnily enough Stephen and jess who i just talked to a few weeks ago they they country hop while teaching online or they at least they used to they're transitioning out of teaching online but they're i think still planning on country hopping and moving around the world but they were in georgia i think they actually still might be so wow okay reach Um, out to them get their tbilisi tips yeah because i mean the way i travel is so spontaneous where i wait till like the last minute to book where i'm staying that night so i don't have any plans for this this little caucuses trip so yeah, I'll have to reach out to them and see what's good. ITA, shout out. I had asked you the other week, what what is something you wish people asked you that you never seem to get the chance to answer? Do you have a an answer to that? I think a good question, um, yeah, I mean, people ask, like, why did I do this? But I think a, a good question is, do you, 
compare yourself uh, to other people your age and like where you are in your life. And I think that's a big, it's a big deep question that I ask myself all the time. And granted, I feel like it's a question that maybe it's not going to be asked often, but I think it, it really gets me thinking and just the concept of comparing myself, you know, being 26 to other 26 my age. And I, I, I tried not to do that. I also find mm-hmm. myself doing that because, you know, I have friends back home who are having children, getting married, buying houses, this and that. And so sometimes I find myself thinking like, yeah, like, what am I doing? Is this just like a, a gap year for me? But then I take a step back and I think, well, I mean, I'm doing something that, no, I don't necessarily love the teaching, but I, I, I enjoy it and I love traveling and experience new cultures and, and this and that. So I think, I mean, just a word of advice, just don't find yourself looking too deep and comparing yourself to, to other people your age because then I think it takes away from the novelty of what what you're doing and just it being an adventure yes. and yeah I think that's just like a question that I ask myself like what am I doing big deep like life question like what am I doing and I think just yeah I think the answer is everyone's entitled to their own adventures and moves and this is something that makes me happy yes I could could have hopped into this corporate America or just this workforce right away but I feel like now is the time for me to have this adventure and find out where I'm, this is going right. to take me, just being that open book where I started the Spain thing thinking, yeah, I'll do this six months and then I'll do whatever. And then here I am in South Korea. It's just like seeing where the wind Three takes me. Later. and Yeah, and like, okay, yes, I have, my friends, like I said, are doing X, Y, and Z, but back home. And I know I would not be happy at, that, at this point in my life doing that. And so that's why mm-hmm. I stopped myself from thinking, okay, yeah, okay, Joe Schmo bought the house. Okay, whatever. Like I'm here doing this. Like I, and that's I think mm-hmm. a, yeah, a question and just something yeah. a thought for myself. There's I mean there's no set there's no set timeline that everyone has to to follow. Exactly. I mean look, Korean kids can be two years old after being alive for two days. There's no timeline. <laughs> You're right. Different. <laughs> Doesn't exist. Nonlinear. <laughs> my uh, my mother has a, a saying that I heard it's constantly growing up. It's that um, comparison makes you either vain or bitter. Oh, I like that. Um, yeah, and because uh, I, you know, similarly to you, I mean, I I went abroad when I was to teach when I was twenty. I think I was twenty seven when a lot of people I knew were doing very different things with their lives. And I definitely had similar thoughts, similar concerns or feelings, you know, in terms of am I messing up my timeline? Am I? And uh, and I wasn't. Because yeah, who's to say? <laughs> you know, you know? My, who's to say? Nobody out there is is saying this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is. I mean, there are people out there who are saying this is what you're supposed to be doing, but nobody who actually has that authority over you because it's you who has that authority over you. And and yeah, there are things that you can do at certain times in your life, but. You can also get TEFL certified and go teach abroad. That's right. You know, for me, it was a ticket to uh, living uh, and working abroad. Mm-hmm. That was my goal, and this has been something that has allowed me to do that. And the, the locations, destinations are endless. English is that global language, and I think mm-hmm. we're blessed to have English as, you know, our first language because for Korea, there's only the six or seven countries that you're allowed to come here on this visa to teach. That's English speaking. So if, if you're the Italian that's, you know, fluent in English or whatever, like, they can't. So it's like something that I am cognizant of that you know, I'm blessed because it, it has allowed me to just live this adventure that I'm living in. It's just this, we're seeing where this train mm-hmm. takes us. And TEFL has allowed me to do that. And mm-hmm. I'm very thankful every day for that because... If you would have told me what I've been doing these past few years, you know, when I graduated college, it's, yeah, no, I don't think I would have believed myself. And I just, yeah, I'm very right. thankful for that. 
Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a privilege. Exactly. Any final words of advice or final thoughts that that you have as we're we're wrapping up? Yeah, I got some. Okay, so I think the big thing is, if you have any doubts of doing something like this, or just that trip or that travel, anything travel related, anything teacher, just do it. There's going to be a million reasons for you not to do something. You know, I think especially with this, it, it is a big step in your life or whatever to get the courage and move somewhere abroad to a foreign country, do this or do that. And again, there's always going to be a reason to not do something. And that, and if, if you succumb to that, then okay, then you'll be on the outside looking in, wishing that you had that experience. And I think Again, just get out there and travel. It's a big world out there. Make these moves. There's just so many languages, cultures, and everything. And just, I think, my purpose, I feel like, in life is to go out and see that. My goal is to see every country in the world. And it's a big world out there, and I think it needs to be explored. And again, the advice, just do this TEFL if that's something that, you know, just do it, honestly, just do it. That is good advice. And yeah, it's true. If this is something you think you want to do or you want to do, then just go for it. I mean, it's, you're in charge of your own life. Yeah. And then what's the worst that happens? If you don't like it, you you come back. It's not. Yeah. I mean, but isn't that life? You know, you try new things. If you don't like it, okay. You you don't have to do it. Okay. Yeah. It would suck, you know, coming all the other side of the world and then it's okay. Go back. But that's, that's fine. Yeah. That's my advice. It has been so lovely talking to you today, Matt. I really appreciate your time and uh, especially after a a long day of work. And it's just been uh, a real joy to to hear about your experiences in multiple countries and teaching. I'm not going to get over the four-year-olds who are really two-year-olds thing, but it's been real interesting. And uh, I'm still trying to get over that. Thank you so much for having me on, really. Just, I'm a talker and I love talking about my experiences. So, yeah. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you as well. You've been listening to Teach Travel Talk About It, a podcast by International Tuffle Academy, hosted by Jasira Varnak, mixed by Ian Kelly Davis, and edited by Jasira Varnak. For more information about teaching English abroad, visit internationaltuffleacademy.com or find us on social media at International Tuffle Academy. Thanks for listening.